In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Welcome to the Man Card Podcast and our mission to build an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves in changing their world. Males are born. Men are made. We're going to separate the men from the boys. A man is as a man does. We want to help you to become the best version of you. Theodore Roosevelt spoke about this rare breed saying, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. That's awesome. The man card belongs to those protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. A man is as a man does. Enjoy today's episode. To the men in the arena, we We salute you. Hey guys, we honor you for getting it done in the stress bubble of life. We're in this arena together, so let's join up, get out the anonymous bleachers, and into the game. Males retreat, but you've jumped into the fray, so thank you guys for doing that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast. We are pumped today. We want to call you in to the arena. We want to call you out of everything hindering you from your best version, call you up to a higher level of manhood. I'm Jim Ramos, and I'm here with the Mix Master. Dr. Pat George. How you doing, man? Morning, man. Doing good. Good, good, good. Hey, your voice sounded deeper this time. Yeah, I've okay, been practicing. So out, I've been practicing all puberty. week. Yeah, I've been practicing. So you good. Oh, man. And I'm here to my producer and co-host, the Ed McMahon to my Johnny Carson, Dale mm-hmm. Colbert. How'd you like that one? That was, that was pretty beautiful. Good. That was pretty good. Nobody knows who Johnny Carson is because yeah, these they guys do. are like in their early 40s. But, well, uh, I'm in my early 40s. That is true. Oh, anyway. Okay. All right. Hey. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Look, the sun's coming in the window and it's December. This is amazing. This is wonderful. It's not raining. It's Christmas lights season. <sighs> I'm cutting up an elk today. Dark. Are you? Oh, yeah. James shot his first elk. Yeah. So and I got my youngest Colton hanging Christmas lights. Life is good. That's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Hey, I'm really excited about uh, this men in the arena uh, Facebook page we've created. We've got a thousand guys on this thing after three weeks and the interactions are just amazing. Just mm-hmm. really, really cool. And I'm excited about the man card book. I'm almost done writing this thing. I've got like this, this week it'll be done, and I'm going to ship it off, and and it'll be a million, you know, sales. That would be great. That would a million. Be so, anyway, I'll receive that. It's how many can I give away? Yeah. So you got a man word for me today? <laughs> I do. Now I get to guess it right based on our guest. Good right? luck. Did you? Did you've you? Been, you've been. Did you come up lately. with a man word based on our guest today? I I'm not going to. Tell you any of my hold sources. on, you got to give me a chance to guess. No, oh, that that ruins. Are you going to make up some weird word like? Mm-hmm. I'm going to hyphenate something. You like it when I hyphenate. Does it have to do with our guest today? Probably. 
I would go with that. Okay. As a hunch. I'm going to go with uh, Life Coach. Oh, you're was close. I close. Close. Life Coach. That's not even. You can't. You can hyphenate. <laughs> you, well, that's you something a life you would, coach? That's something you would hyphenate. Probably. Probably, probably yeah. Life Coach. Yes. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm not in your face, then you know I, I'm done no, with he you. Doesn't, he doesn't roll like that. Oh, he's a nice coach. My, my well, Actually, I mean, my man word is coach. Oh, are you? I got it. I got yeah. it. I it was, got it. It was way you too easy. You said hyphen. I That's know. no fair. I know. It's way I too got easy. It. First one ever. You're buying. We got the clapping sound effect now. Wow. That's nice. So talk, talk to me about coach. Oh well, we come alongside guys and we coach them. We co- uh, come alongside our kids and we coach them through life and and so that's just part of being a man. Uh, one of the things I, I challenged my college age uh, leaders last night was, you know, in this life that you live. Uh, find somebody to grab alongside you and drag them with you, and then launch them out. And uh, so you should be reproducing yourself, coach, and uh, coaching people in into the things that you're doing. Man, that's and, so and good. And coaching them into doing great things. That's really that's good, good, man. And I'm finding in my life with my sons as they get older, I'm moving into more of a coaching role, right? Because they don't have to come around. Mm-mm. You know. So anyway, that's cool. I'm really excited about today's guest. Joe and I have been trying to get together on this podcast last year, I think, and you got caught in a snowstorm in Portland. And we didn't, ha- we couldn't make it. So uh, this is uh, my friend Joe Smith. He actually lives here in McMinnville with us. Uh, let me tell you about this guy. So he's 46 years old. He's actually the head football coach for Linfield College. This year marked 62 winning seasons in a row. It's the longest winning streak of any college football team, all divisions in all of America. Am I right? Is that accurate? 62. Can you imagine that? That's longer than you've been alive, Pat. Yeah, that's impressive. Barely. Yeah, by two years. <laughs> So he lives in McMinnville with his beautiful wife, Darla. They've been married 24 years. They have three great kids, Josie, who's 20. Uh, uh, and I'm sure that Montana game next year wasn't Carroll College. I'm sure that was just a fluke, right, That going up there? so It might have had a little something to do with it, yeah. yeah. My wife just got hired at Alaskan Airlines to be a flight attendant so we can go to all the games now and just fly. Oh, that's fantastic. So I'm super excited. So Wyatt, uh, 19 years old, actually uh, earned a position as a starting quarterback on the football team. And then Colton, who's 17. Uh, great, great family, and so uh, I'm just really, I'm really impressed with this guy. When you hear this podcast, you're going to be really impressed. And I've got a lot of questions about football and, and winning and young men, so I'm going to hold on. But first, we're going to do Joe is we're going to get you into our rapid fire round. Sounds good. Joe's a pacifist, so he's kind of he's kind of offended right now. So. <laughs> No guns. He's a big government guy all the way. I mean, <laughs> wasn't a lot. Wasn't a lot of emotion showed there. Was well, because he's just like, "Yep, that's how it's going to be." You're right. Only he I'm was blown away M60. by that. <laughs> I'm holding the M. Anyway, so yeah. So hey, so what we're going to do, Joe, is I'm going to ask you uh, about four or five questions. I'm calling this round our philosopher coach round. So these are questions about kind of life that I want to have you give uh, your answers to. So you ready for this? Sure. All right. Here we go. Who's your greatest hero and why? Crazy horse of the uh, of the Sioux, uh, tremendous uh, warrior, gave his life for his people. I'm part Native American, so it's somebody that uh, always was uh, a great hero of mine. Yeah, you're part Native American. I am. How how much? It shows a lot. I'm with the blue but, eyes, uh, you get away with <laughs> blonde hair. Lot, but uh, yeah, no, my uh, I'm actually sixteenth. So it's not a lot. But, but you're, that's uh, legal. You oh can yeah. get a card. Absolutely. What tribe? Cherokee. 
Oh, well, then I just finished the Longmire season finale last night. So well, did, uh, did you watch that? I think that's, that's my one time, my <laughs> absolute favorite show. Wow. Is it really? Absolutely. We just watched the yeah. last one last night. Yeah. It's over, baby. It's over. Did yeah, you cry? I've been, I've been uh, waiting, those, waiting on those. So uh, <laughs> Yeah, us too. They're pretty special. Did I cry? I cried at one point at the very end. Well, it was when? Longmire told his daughter she should run for champ. Don't want to hear. Oh, you! Oh, oh, I whoa! Seen it. Whoa! Oh. I wait, seen whoa, whoa, whoa! How far are you in? No, I haven't watched the last season. I've been waiting. So. Oh. oh, it's on ten episodes. Oh, I, oh, oh I, know. I almost ruined it. I know. You can binge oh, it. I, I apologize watch. ahead of time. That's what we do. We kind of watch one a night for about two weeks, and then our life is not binge then we have watching. No purpose. So, <laughs> so, so, okay. Help me out here. Is Crazy Horse the guy that took out Custard? He custard, is. custard. While yes. he was eating pudding, I like me some custard. Okay, mm. custard. He was he Cherokee or Crow? No, he was Sue. Sue. Okay. Yeah. Wow. You got any? Okay. So you have any good quotes from him? Is, does he have anything? Can it's you, a, in it's English? a good day to die. That's a quote from him. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's like TCU, man. TCU football team in their locker room. Is well, that what they well, have? No, in they it? say we're gonna fight until hell freezes over, and then we're gonna fight on the ice. That's good I, I stuff. Like that. awesome. I like why that. Why isn't too. there? Why isn't there? You should put the quote from him in the locker room. Yeah, you know we got oh, plenty of quotes in there. Yeah, but, uh, and you've got some. I don't want to use some, that one. Yeah, you've got some death <laughs> that in the te- you know you've yeah. had experience that and that's not positive. So I I, I got you. Okay, so here, suit. Gosh, that's really I, I was that's shocking that's a, to me. So sorry, I'm looking away. All right, Joe. Next question. Right now, what's on your heart? <clears throat> well, I'm in the middle of recruiting, so. Um, you know, I think uh, trying to, to get more quality young men to Linfield's definitely in my heart. But, um, you know, I, I think we are in a just an unbelievable uh, world at the moment. And um, I see so many young kids struggling. So I think, you know, that's something that I, I pretty much wear every day with, with young men that are trying to figure out their life course and what's the meaning of life, where they fit in, who they are, et cetera. So uh, I would say those those two things. And that's really good. I want to talk about that more later on in this podcast. So next question is, what's your all-time favorite quote? My all-time favorite quote? Um, I've got two. Uh, one is one is Teddy Roosevelt's Man in the Arena, which is, is perfect uh, for this podcast. We'll, I'll say that again tonight uh, to my team at our banquet. It's, it's certainly my, my favorite. Um, and then second of all would be, oh, I've got a great quote uh, by uh, – Oh, just an old, old, old boxer by the name of uh, George, who's pretty good. So Foreman, <laughs> oh baby, what is it? Can you share it? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can we Google it? Give us a hint. Well, it has to do with uh, road work, and uh, if you don't get that road work done in the in the uh, dark of the morning, you get found found out under the bright lights. So, is that the quote or is that the hint? All of the above. Okay, all right. I thought you weren't going to share it. I was like, oh, I've never had that happen before. Anyway, so um, next one. What piece of advice would you give? Now we're going to go back 27 years here to your 20-year-old self. I I would say um, you don't truly know all that you think you know. know, I think that's uh, a common time in your life where you got all the answers, and you really don't. Yeah, you don't know what you don't know. Now, you were at Linfield when you were 20 years old, weren't you? I was. Did you guys win a national championship? <clears throat> we lost a national championship, so okay. and thanks for bringing that up. No, I, I, <laughs> I thought they won one. Well, I thought you were old. I thought they won one in 84, and I thought you were a little. No, I missed that. On... So okay. I, my uh, senior year was the 92 team, and we lost. Yes. 
Gosh, you would have been married then. No, would you got be? married in '93? Okay, and then you were an all-American cornerback. Am I, I was. accurate for one year, two years? Um, I'm sure I played like one for four, you know. But, yeah, I got you. Uh, but I, I only was recognized for. Well, one you know, year. the older we get, the better we were. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, one of my kids said to me the other day, "Hey, Dad, you could have been a national. You could have been a, in the NFL, right? If you were a linebacker." I'm like, "No, where'd you get that crap?" <laughs> but you know, I don't know. So, the hey, legend just grows. I know it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Anyway, Uncle so Rico. if uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, if I were to give you twenty thousand dollars, but you could only spend it on a vacation for two weeks, and you had to take your wife, where would you guys go? Well, I would <clears throat> always take my wife on any vacation, whether I had to or not. Uh, that would be number one. But, uh, you know, I love Hawaii. I think that would be where we go, although Australia. Heck, let's go with Australia. Ooh. I've never been there. That yeah. sounds amazing. Uh, Crocodile Dundee, you know. Oh, baby. That's not Stay a Stay away from those ponds with the alligators in them. This but, is a knife. Yeah. That's yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Stay with the ponds with the alligators. That goes back to your crazy horse quote. It's a good day to die. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No Darla, kidding. you go first. <laughs> so, hey, well, I'm excited, man. I want to jump into some questions. And these are questions we've known each other for probably close to 15 years. Yeah, I think that's I mean, pretty accurate. I coached my son Colton in baseball when he was a youngster. Uh, you're now his coach at the collegiate level. Uh, and so we've interacted quite a bit. And, and uh, so I just – there's – you know, there's things that you think about and you go, okay, the, what, I want to ask this guy this question. Now, I want to start, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you just tell us, uh, our listeners, a little bit about your story, just a, a couple of minutes to share about who you are, what you like to do, you know, just a little bit uh, more about yourself. Sure. I think the uh, thing that was awesome for me growing up was I grew up down in the state of Jefferson. And if you don't know where that is, you, you don't <laughs> get it. But um, that's down south in Oregon. And the uh, Applegate Valley, amazing place, uh, very rural, um, tremendous uh, scenery, things to do, the rivers, etc. But we had a church down there. <clears throat> they had a guy named John Corson that came up from California and started a church, and he started our church along the river of the Applegate. And uh, awesome mix of people. Um, you had people that were living in communes in that part of the country, and and yuppies, you know, coming out and, and had church along the river. It was, it was really powerful for me as a, as a young uh, boy. And then that church grew into unbelievably large, um, so much so that it split off into many churches and still is a, a pretty driving force down there. So I think that had a huge uh, shaping factor on, on my life, of course. And um, it, was a, it was a church that was very appealing to men. <clears throat> I've had a hard time finding a church like that since. I think it's probably been hard on my family, at least on me, maybe to to replicate that. I think so many churches anymore are geared towards women, and um, that that's difficult. I think for at least men like myself. So uh, that was a, a shaping, uh, a big shaping part. My parents uh, got divorced, like like so many families did at that time. So I think obviously that was a uh, gave me a lot of maybe anger, which was. Mm a good thing for sports. Uh, it's hard to be very successful in sports without a, a massive driving force. And I think you look at most successful athletes that rise pretty far. They, they have a burning desire. Mm. A lot of times mm -hmm. it's anger that channels that. Mm -hmm. um, not saying that was me, but I, but I do know that that's, uh, I see that in a lot of great athletes. There's something that's driving them to, to greatness. Um, 
so I think those were all wonderful parts. I, I uh, met my uh, wife in chemistry class our sophomore year in high school and knew she was pretty special and mm. didn't take me long to, to realize that. And we got married out of college and been living in McMinnville since. Wow, that's I did not know that about your story. I'm kind of blown away. Uh, so you said that <clears> – <throat> so I know that church. I actually shot my first ever buck with a muzzleloader in Applegate on some river that runs through. Maybe, maybe it's Applegate. I'm yeah, sure it's the Applegate. Applegate. Yeah, yeah absolutely. camped up there good, and good shot, guess. shot this buck. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but um, here's my question. You said that you found a church that appealed to men, and you have most of the churches around appeal to women. And I agree with that 100%. So give, help me out. What does a church that appeals to men look like, and what does a church that appeals to women? What's the what's the contrast there? Because I think most churches today are cater to the women, and it's part of the problem with church in America. And we did an interview with David Murrow a couple weeks back, and he has he wrote a book called Why Men Hate Going to Church, and he talked about the same thing. I don't know if I can answer that. I'm going to offend everybody, but I no no I, go ahead. I think um, yeah, I know <laughs> you. Don't, guys I know don't you care. don't. I know you don't mind that. Um, I don't know. I, I would say that that a church that appeals to men is interesting to men. Uh, they talk about things that interest men, um, as opposed to pastors that talk about things that don't. Yeah, so. and uh, churches that have pink flowers in the foyer. The foyers are colored girly colors. Uh, they have flowers instead of like Douglas fir trees. They're hot. Turn those suckers down to sixty-five degrees. Let the men let the men enjoy it. F- turn the lights down. Feels like a man cave. And talk about the issues that guys relate to. And stop playing songs. Here I go, Dale. No, no, don't stop say playing it. songs that say "I just love you so much." Play songs that like "Awesome God." You know, like you know those kind of songs. <laughs> I, I, anyway. I think honestly, no skinny jeans. You're right. I, I know no you're, skinny you're jeans allowed. Kidding, normal hair. <laughs> and so. So speaking of that, okay, so so this was not a problem for my son, but but you, so you, we live in a day and age where you go watch NFL. Well, I don't watch the NFL, but you go and watch college football, whatever. You have guys with long hair flowing down on their backs, dreadlocks coming down, white, black, brown, yellow, doesn't matter. Just hair is along, and you have a rule on your team that you have to have short hair, and you can have no facial hair except for a mustache. Isn't it something like that? That is correct. How in the heck do you pull that off in this day and age? Well, I, you know, first of all, it's a it's a privilege or a it's not a right to be on the football team, so they don't have to. You know, they just can't be on the team. So uh, something we talk about, tell our guys, you know, before they come, that this is a rule. This is something that you're going to have to adhere to or look somewhere else. So. You know, that that was not my rule. It was Coach Rutschman's, who was my coach at mm-hmm. Linfield, and he always felt that uh, your appearance um, dictated a little bit how people see you and, and some extent how you perform. And, and uh, he always felt like you never knew when your next employer would be watching you and seeing you. So he wanted our guys to do very well after, after college and, and felt like an appearance is, is a reputation and it helps – uh, model and image of class and, and professionalism, and I think that's one reason why our guys are so sucked up so quickly in the workforce is, is because of that. So um, I really believe in it. I think it's important. It's hard. The guys that I have the hardest time with that are our kids from the islands. They come oh, over, yeah. and, and to some extent it, it's a cultural slash even religious thing for some of those guys. I have a really hard time when they've got to cut their hair and, and they sit there crying 
uh, tears rolling down their face, cutting their hair that hasn't been cut in a decade. Yeah. I have no no problem with our Caucasian kids cutting the dang scraggly hair. That that <laughs> big deal, you know. That's just yeah. a style. Yeah. Uh, but asking a young man to sort of cut their cultural identity slash religion that's tough but guys do it and we sort of have to keep doing it now because i'm not going to disrespect the young men that made that sacrifice 10 years ago or 15 years ago we we changed that rule now and it it sort of makes their sacrifice irrelevant and and i won't do that well and so that's kind of an old school mentality which i love but you said earlier in the podcast during early on in the podcast you said we're in the middle of recruiting season and i'm looking for quality young men and I would say it's not necessarily the cutting of the, the long hair that makes you quality or, or not quality, but it's the willingness to do that because in the real world, you've got to look the part. In fact, we interviewed Ron Noble, who's a state representative in Oregon, and he shared a story with me that he, he applied for a job at Les Schwab years ago, and he walked in with a mustache. And the guy that managed Les Schwab said, you're not getting the job. He said, why? He said, I have, you have a mustache. And Ron said, well, I'll shave it. And, and this guy said, Listen, you knew. Listen, if you can't notice everybody around here that does not have a mustache, how are you going to fix a guy's car without missing that detail? So you're not getting the job, and that stuck with him. And I think there's something we can say what we want in our society, but there's something to the fact of professionalism and class. I had I played at Santa Clara, so the SC our coach used to say he had a full-blooded Irish coach, Pat Malley. SC stands for style and class. And it was the same mentality it, it, because when you get out there, you want to look the part and be hireable. So I, I really appreciate that. So, Joe, you mentioned uh, Ad Rutschman. So uh, I pulled up some statistics. And who came after? Did Ed Langsdorf come after Ad or before? Ed, Ed followed Ad. Okay. So, so Ad Rutschman, uh, after 24 seasons, won 78 percent of his full games. Can you imagine that, Pat? Yeah, 78.2%. Langsdorf followed for four years and won 77.4%. So basically the same. Jay Losey came after him, and he won 82.4% of the se- after 10 seasons. So when you got hired, Joe, I remember thinking, this is my thought. I thought, man, this is brutal. It's brutal to come into a, a culture of such tradition and to follow these great guys. And and I you lost a couple games your first year. Three or four? How many? Three. Three, okay. But to date, you have won 112 games and only 22 losses for a percent, winning percentage of 84%. So I don't know if you know this. You do now, but you're the highest. I read this in the program. You've won a greater percentage of games than any coach in Linfield history, and you've been there 12, 12, 11 seasons now. Twelve. Twelve. So that's a force to be reckoned with. What, how do you credit? What do you credit that to? Well, number one, a great staff. Yeah, I really, really have got a tremendous staff. I may not be a very successful coach or a good coach, but I've got a great staff. And so I think if you put a great staff together in football, that's number one. Number one, you can't do it on your own. High school, you might get away with one coach being able to to really build a program and and guide it. But in college, there's so much um, you know specialization that occurs. You you have to have uh, a tremendous core group of staff. So okay, here's a here's a question for you. I, I I bet you've thought about this. So let's say 
you were to get an offer that you couldn't refuse at a D1 college, so university. So let's say right down the street we've got Oregon State, Oregon. Let's say and or let's just play with Oregon State because they're the one that needs the most help. Although they just had a transition at Oregon too, didn't they? Yes, they did. Let's say they came to you and said, "We want to hire you. We're going to make you an offer you can't refuse to build the Oregon State University pro football program." What is the first? And you have unlimited resources. What is the first thing that you're going to do down there? So you're rebuilding something, which you've in college you stepped into a huge tradition, but now they're going to you're going to go down and do something you've never done before which is probably exciting for you, what would you do? What, where would you invest your, your resources? Well, number one, it's staff. I think that's, that's the biggest issue at, at those places is how many coaches can you bring with you, how many of their current staff do you have to retain, et cetera, because it is all about culture. It's all about culture, and, and in those, at those levels, it's not just culture. It's, it's obviously facilities. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's such an arms race at that level. I think that becomes a real – uh, burden that's probably what Oregon State's been battling mm-hmm. Oregon doesn't have that issue you know but it is a culture issue and and kids come for a reason why are they going to go to your school and so you've got to be able to uh, have the talent to win and 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 you know there's two folds it, there's there's a talent how much talent can you attract and then how do you develop that talent um, at Linfield we've been able to learn how to develop talent very well I think we, we coach this game very well, develop, but that's not a problem. But when you go take over a program, somehow you have to attract the talent to, mm-hmm. to compete with mm-hmm. the SCs and the, and the UW. So uh, you have to have something to sell those kids. So what are you selling? Are you selling a trip to the NFL? Are you selling uh, – we, we run a pro-style offense, so we can put you in the NFL. We have connections in the NFL. That's Mike Riley's approach. Mm-hmm. He did a good mm-hmm. job of that. Mm-hmm. Um, or are you selling, um, you know, culture? Come here and we're developing young men. And I think that would – certainly be my staff's approach so you've said twice that to develop young men after your coaching staff so would it be more conducive for you to hire great kids with tremendous talent and build the young man into them or would you rather recruit high quality kids and then so that's your primary base is a high quality individual with with d1 talent and then continue to build into them what would you pick first the talent or the kid the quality yeah that's a great question i i think that's the the dilemma most most division one coaches are in do we do we sell our value system for the great talent or do we hold out for the kids we want to coach but maybe don't have the reggie bush talent that's a tough tough dilemma so you can go the Dennis Erickson route and go for talent and win and and it works. And they're but, all in jail afterwards, yeah. you know. But the the house crumbles, you yeah. know. So are you yeah. building for the long term or are you building for the short term? And I, I think that's the problem. And in today's Division One level, that it's you got to win now, and yet they still want the foundation. Well, it's hard to build a foundation and win right away. It really is. I think uh, I personally would would want to try to build a foundation and and do it the right way. So ten years later. The program's healthy and thriving and and very competitive. That reminds me of a quote by Vonda Bright. Her husband, Bill Bright, founded Campus Crusade for Christ, and she said, the greatest distance between two points is a shortcut. And so if you're building for a three-and-out deal, but if you're building for the long haul, you probably, yeah, that's a tough dilemma. I mean, I I, I, this, I just thought of that just now. I thought, that's really tough. You, you said earlier you want to help your young men on their life course uh, to help them to understand the meaning of life. And the second cause of death 
among American males between 20 and 28 or something is suicide. So I think a lot of these young men come in, they're, they're told in high school they have to know their path, but very few really do. In fact, my son Colton, who you coach, I, he has no clue what he wants to do in life. He has no idea. I'm like, that's okay, son. You don't have to. How, how do you help them understand the meaning of their life and the purpose of their life? And I know you do this with your, your, your uh, student athletes. How do you, as your coaching staff, invest in that component of their life, which is beyond football? Well, first of all, <clears throat> I really believe that football is the greatest class that our kids will ever take at college, 100%. Um, the number one class they'll ever take for success skills in life is our football program. So I 100% believe if our kids just played football and didn't do school, I'm not so sure they'd be just as successful. Now, did I say that out loud? But, but I, I, <laughs> I sort agree of, with you. I sort of believe that because what they're learning is work ethic. What they're learning is how to be part of a team. What they're learning is how to handle adversity. What they're learning is to sacrifice the fu- the, the the present for the future. To mm. to uh, work for a goal that's down the road, and and they've got to work all year long for nine hours of fulfillment over the course of a fall. It's an amazing sport that way the the lion's share of all the work are in the early mornings all spring long and so the work ethic and the the the, we we are in a culture where there's no work ethic i mean there is none Uh, i don't want to get into millennials and how kids have changed and our society's changed but uh, nobody knows how to work hard anymore Uh, i shouldn't say nobody but so many fewer people are truly workers uh, out there so uh, I, I really believe that football, honestly, is is a tremendous tool for kids to learn some core values that will lead them to success in whatever field they take. We want to teach kids to be a master of their trade and their trade being a punter, their trade being a quarterback. Now, there's all these schematic demands that they've got to learn, mm-hmm. conceptual information, and there's all this technical information they've got to learn and the physical demands. And so once they learn to master a trade, they can then transfer that into banking, et cetera. So to me, it, it fixes so many of their identity problems. It fixes so many of their where do I fit in in life problems. And and kids today have an identity issue. Who am I? Mm. What's the meaning of life? Am I am I a guy? I mean, heck, you know, I don't know. You're using a unice, unisex you bathroom or whatever, you know, and, and it's, it's a crazy world they're living in. And it's no wonder that 18 to 22, the suicide rate's very, very high because they're confused. Yeah. Well, we had John Eldridge on our podcast and he said we're in the middle of a gender collapse, which is exactly what you're pointing to. I want to go back to the millennials for a second because we badmouth the millennials, but really the problem is the busters and the Gen Xers, us as parents. We're the problem. We're the ones that invented the participation trophy. I mean, it's it's us that is to blame. So my question is, how do we as parents – you have three uh, great, amazing uh, uh, ch- children. Uh, I have three. How do we as parents – pull our kids into because a lot of our listeners joe have little children most of our men in the arena are i would say 25 to 45 how do those guys living in the stress bowl of life as parents pull their kids away from the participation trophy and insert into their lives this uh sacrifice uh the sacrificing the present for the future as you called it and when you said that i wrote above that uh embracing the suck of pain and suffering how do we as parents do that? How did you do that with your kids? Because all of your kids, they they're they're very they're excellent young men and women. How how did you insert that value into them? I think two things. the The number one concept is, you know, the the 
there's this easy road. There's you know Proverbs talks about a road that <laughs> that looks right to a man, mm-hmm. but in the end leads to death. And mm-hmm. and we talk about that with our team. You ask me some of the stuff we talk about. That's a proverb I give our our guys all mm-hmm. the time. Is is the general person is on this easy road because it's popular, it's well worn, it's what everybody's doing. But that popular easy road leads to mediocreville. It leads to average mm-hmm. town. And if you want to be average, then do what everybody else is doing around you. If you want to have uh, average results, then think average. That's great. Do what everyone else is doing. So yeah. I never want to hear what school X is doing or school B is doing if they're not a national champion. I don't care. I don't want to hear what, what a 5-5 five and five team's doing because I sure as heck don't ever want to do that. So, yeah. so we're not going to do anything like what average teams are doing. Now, you talk to me what Alabama's doing. I'm interested. You yeah, know, talk yeah. to me what, what Clemson's doing. I'm interested. We'll, yeah. we'll look at that. And so as a parent, it's the same thing. If you're letting your kids do what every other kid's doing, you're going to get the result that every other kid's going to get. Mm-hmm. And and it starts with the phone. It starts with, with uh, boundaries. It starts with saying the word no. And those are painful. And, and, yeah. and I look at kids that have way too much freedom, Way too much, given way too much, way too early. I think of JBO baseball and, and the little uh, midget <laughs> kids, and they get the full uniform. I was so against that. Don't give them the full uniform at yeah. at uh, whatever third grade. Make them earn that and let them get that in, in as a yeah. freshman, and then they got to aspire mm-hmm. to you know more yeah. and more. But you give them everything early. What else is there to yeah to to shoot for? And so. I think as parents, they call that bulldozing parents. No, no longer helicopter, but now bulldozer parents. Oh, that's parents. a new. Oh, I never heard this phrase. And, yeah, and so bulldozer parenting. I know is, a few of those. Is uh, they knock all the obstacles out for them, so they've mm. created a smooth road for their kids. And I never wanted that for our children. So I think my wife and I were honestly quite hard on them in terms of uh, making them do painful things, making them get jobs, making them uh, earn their stuff, um, saying no a lot. Um, sorry, I don't care if everyone else is doing it. This is what we believe in. This is what we're going to do. You're going to have phone restrictions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to have not be able to stay out as late as everybody else. All, those sorts of things I, th- I think are really, really important. And if you want your, your children to maybe not go to average town. So are you the meanest parent in the world? Because I was told I was. Uh, I don't know, but I'm, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure that phrase has been, been said maybe. You so know, you know what's funny though is we throw a lot of restrictions on our kids, and they might think, "Oh, this is terrible," but their friends will say, "Man, I wish I wish my dad cared enough to put boundaries in my life." They may not ever say that out loud, but I'll guarantee you, every every kid deep down wants some sort of discipline. Yeah. you know, human nature is I think to, we do to yearn for that. Oh, hundred percent, I do. care, and I we want to work. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Colton, well, all three of our kids were given cars by their grandparents. So Shannon and I said, hey, that's great. That's really awesome. So now go get a job and pay for your own gas and insurance. Yep. What? None of my friends do that. Well, I don't care what your friends do. <laughs> so Colton, my youngest, he was a 3.85 or something student. So what we did with our kids, because he had a job, he's a head lifeguard, he's a great kid. And uh, his senior year, we said, okay, what we're going to do, we're going to write a note to your school that you can write your own notes now. So I'm releasing you six months before the end of your high school career. You're free. You can go to school whenever you want. Really? Yeah. He got a 4.0 that last semester. <laughs> but what I'm saying is he had trained himself that I need to do it. I have to do it better now that I don't have my parents' oversight. And so I think that comes from doing the hard things. And I think what sports does 
with young men is it, it teaches them that work ethic that they wouldn't teach in front of a TV playing video games. So I, that is so good, Joe. Man, I appreciate that. Okay, so you talked about the bulldozer. Do you think that that? Oh, hey, before let's before I ask this next question about the bulldozer, I want to take a minute to hear from the sponsor of the Man Card Podcast. The Man Card Podcast is a five hundred one c three nonprofit organization. We aren't in this to make money, guys, but we are passionate about making a difference. The war is epic. Every battle matters, and every man in the arena matters. Join our fight to change the world with every man who gets in the arena, picks up his sword, and starts to fight. Do this by joining our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum with men from literally around the world. If this podcast has helped you get out of the bleachers and into the arena, then go to our website under gear. Pick up the field guide, my bathroom book for men with 365 daily readings about what a man is and does using famous quotes and epic stories. Guys, you're going to love this book. Pick it up today. This year will be our first ever Man Card Men's Weekend with the men in the arena. If you're interested in hosting a Man Card Weekend in your city, contact us for available dates. Also, guys, thank you again for jumping into the arena and championing the greatest battle of our time, the fight to change your world one man at a time. Hey, we're back. So, Joe... Uh, do you think this bulldozer mentality, we're bulldozing the obstacles out of the way, do you think that's more of a dad issue or a mom issue? What is you, What have you seen? Well, statistically, it would be a mom thing, just there's not enough dads involved. So, um, but, I, but I think it's, it's definitely both. Uh, when dads are involved, they're as guilty as that as anyone. And, um, you know, you typically as a parent, you either parent the way you were parented or you parent in direct opposition. Mm-hmm. And typically, it's it's a mixture of the two. I, I hated this done to me, so I will never, you know, force my son or daughter to eat Brussels sprouts or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and, um, and so that's what I see with with parenting a lot. You're, you're doing either what was done to you or in direct opposition. So I, I think bulldozing is a is a a way to make it easy for your kids because it's hard to see them fall. It's hard to see them cry. It's hard to see them get their heart broken. That that's really painful as a parent, but it's also necessary. Well, and, and I think you, you brought – this is really good, this bulldozer thing. I never heard about this before. This is amazing. So as a mom, my you know, women have a gland in their body that men don't have. The gland is what I call the security gland. Uh, Dave Ramsey talks about this. And they want everything to be secure and stable, uh, they're, they're, you know, domestic. And I think moms, in an effort to protect their kids, they will bulldoze some things. But I know with men – I was hunting with my middle son a, a couple months ago, and he said, Dad, tell me about your hunting stories. We're at, we're at 8,000 feet elevation. He's deathly sick. Uh, we walked six miles, and we're in a snowstorm, and we're wet and miserable. So I'm telling these hunting stories, and he's saying, none of those sound fun. And I go, oh, they weren't. They sucked. But now they're awesome. And I think there's something about men. Like I just had an old teammate from college say something to me on, on social media, and I said, hey, I just sing the song Sweet Emotion. And we had to go through a hazing process in college where they collected all of the uh, cafeteria food for a week, put it in a 55-gallon drum, and then 80 guys stood around the 20 rookies sing- in our underwear only singing Sweet Emotion as they poured this emulsion on our head and in our shorts and made us run. I'll never remember Brent Jones, who played 12 years in the NFL, chasing us on a motorcycle. He was a catcher. He was a scholarship catcher, hucking eggs at us and tomatoes. It was miserable. I got picked up, picked up by the police, hauled back to the dorm. It was awesome. <laughs> you know, we have these experiences, and they and and they're we somehow 
talk to me about this, Joe. Do you think there's something inherent inside of a man, a young man or guys like you and I, that wants to embrace the suck of life? Absolutely. Why do we? Why are we wired that way? <clears throat> I think there's there's a, a famous uh, personality theory that that uh, you know I'm, I'm a sports psychologist, so um, the uh, they, and, and you've seen it obviously in American Sniper they they talk about this, but the, the sheepdog, you know the sheep and the wolf and mm-hmm. and and there are wolves out there, you know to deny that is is just being foolish, um, yeah. you know and and then there are a lot of people that that would be characterized as sheep they, they're just kind of happy doing their thing and going along and, and I, I really believe there's a, another um, segment of our population that that are quote sheep dogs or guard dogs and people that are sort of born and with a with a DNA strand to protect uh, born with a DNA strand that that yearns to combat in a worthy cause and in a good way and I think that's uh, Usually, what you see in, in people that go into police force or you know in any brand of the service, whether it be firefighting, you know my young men that want to go on in, in any of those avenues, they're all the same personality type, and they yearn for that uh, that combat, physical combat, that physical danger, the the challenge of of uh, you know, honestly risk, and 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 they really yearn for that, and I think that's inherent in men, and I honestly believe almost all men have that. But somehow our society tries to uh, downplay that and almost get that out of our our men. You're certainly seeing that, you know, trying to pacify, you know, the the male today a little bit. So, um, so yes, I think I think okay. kids love what you're experiencing. They they love combat. They love, um, you know, fighting in a worthy cause and and. Uh, Hazing is is a part of that. I don't think we should do that, obviously, in football teams anymore. But yeah. but it is why the military still does it. It's still how you uh, shared negative experience is the single biggest way that you bond people together. Going through difficult times together is still the number one way that you you draw cohesiveness within groups. So um, I love it when our guys go through a hard time together. We we bond very closely. Well, I, I can I can sense the uh, college coach in you trying not to say things because you don't want to get into trouble but but you're absolutely right i'm not saying hazing either but what i'm saying is our society is trying to and i don't know who i'm not we're not about blaming but there is a uh, a front full frontal attack on manhood today uh to neuter men and so this is and this is what we're speaking boldly against we're willing to die on this hill that we need to fix the churches we need to fire some pastors we need to turn we need to do something with worship leaders oh god help those guys we need to we got to do something in the church and in our society because we're emasculating men and nobody seems to be fighting about it and fighting for it and taking the hits and you said something and then you answered the question which i thought was so good you said there is a dna strand for some to protect to go to combat. And then you said, actually, I think it's in every man. And so you said earlier in the podcast, Joe, you said, as a coach, you want to do things that drive young men to greatness. So here's my question. Do you think that there is a DNA strand that God has put into every man for greatness? Do you think guys are wired for anonymity or wired for greatness? Is this a, is this like a, you know, is this a sheepdog thing and everybody else is sheeple? Or is this is this something that God has said to every man? You will be a protector. You will be great among your people. Talk me through this. 
that's pretty deep. You know, I I don't know if I I have any answer. Well, you that, inspired but I, me. But uh, I I would think every man's capable of 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 fulfilling the destiny or you know the plan that God's shaped for him. And, and I I can't believe that the plan that God has for everyone is the same. I just mm-hmm. can't. So yeah. so I would think He's calling some to be nurturers and some to be growers and some to be planters and some to be hunters and gatherers. I mean, we we're in a I mean, history mm-hmm. will tell us that, right? Mm-hmm. We've, we've got cultures that are based on hunting and, hunting and gathering, and we have cultures that were based on planting, and that's going to uh, definitely affect uh, genetic pools and, and mm-hmm. personalities over time. So uh, you can't expect a hunter and a gatherer to be happy planting corn. Oh, that's good. That's really good. And I feel like sometimes our society is trying to turn men into a bunch of vegans. And I'm not saying vegans wrong. I'm just saying men are wired for something different. And, and and the vegan thing is not about what you're eating. It's about what you're pursuing. And so that's so good. So you you have, for the last 12 years, Joe, you have been charged with 140 men every year for 12 years, thousands of men. What what themes do you have when you lead them into manhood? What What themes? In four years, what is Colton going to say to me? that he learned about manhood that went beyond football. And he's a punter, so he's kind of over here. You know, I mean, he's not in the – he's the guy that's over here. During warm-ups, it's funny because all the punters go and kickers sit over here and sit back, and and I'm like, you know, we always tease him. You're barely a football player. We make fun of him. But, you know, so – but how do you – what is the theme that he's going to hear in four years that, hey, this is the theme that we heard um, as, as young men? Well, it's interesting because tonight's our team banquet, and so uh, our seniors will get a chance to – to stand before their team and, and maybe just a minute or so and, and say what they learned, what they got from the program. Oh, that's and, good. That's and good. Um, I think what you'll hear is is all of them, it went so fast. <laughs> you know, that's going to be a common theme. Is, yeah. Holy cow, four years went, you know, like that. And 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 then I think you'll hear them, the ones that now 40 or so freshmen will come in and maybe 23. It's usually about that percentage, 23, 24, will make it for four years. So the ones that are able to stay and persist are going to talk about, I learned so much. I learned about perseverance. I learned about hard work. I learned about, you know, being a man of, or my, of my word, you know, and if your, if your word is just not good, you know, you're not, you're not a teammate. So, um, you know, I think those are the things that, that kids are going to take from this program as well as just learning to be a good teammate and, and to, to fully invest if you, if you if you make it if you put your heart into it you're going to get a lot out of it if you want to play it cool and just give a little bit of your heart uh, you'll you'll get a little bit out of it so i think um you know i think that's something i want our guys to live boldly i want them to to experience life uh in a risky fashion you know if, uh, to whom much is given much is expected but you're not going to get anything out of it if you play it safe and and um so that that's something i really want our guys to to learn and to take into into life that's really good man to live boldly to live boldly and live out in a, and live life in a risky fashion that's so countercultural because our culture is telling us to be comfortable mm-hmm. but what you're saying is you're telling these young men to be uncomfortable because risk is not comfortable so so you're wanting to create leaders and entrepreneurs over and over not, not that there's wrong with being an employee, but you're saying go out there, do something big, and if you don't can't, then settle, then do whatever 
else the best that you can do. Absolutely. I mean, the kids that graduate, honestly, from my program, we're speaking frankly, they're going to be the future leaders of their communities. These are kids that are going to go out and get hired, have multiple job offers. They're going to rise quickly in their profession because they know how to work. They're going to outwork every one of their peers. They're going to put the, the organization first, and they're going to be trustworthy guys. Well, that's a very, very desirable employee. They're going to rise fast. They're going to do great things. That's our goal you know, yeah. as, as a coaching staff. That's so good, man. So, again, in your experience with thousands of young men over the years, when a young man comes into your program as a freshman, so I thought you had 60 freshmen for some reason, but you have 45? Well, we might have had close to 60, you know, so it fluctuates. You know, we might have 35, and then some okay. years about it averages to about 44 okay. or something. So these yeah. 44 young men that come into your program straight out of high school, have you noticed anything as a coach – like a common ground that separates some of these young men that you could you would see instantly. These are these are a this kid is an elite young man even amongst these young men. Is there something that these young men and I'm not talking about sports. Is there a common factor with these elite young men that come in already kind of ahead of the rest? That just there's just something about them that maybe their grades, maybe their work ethic, their understanding of life. Is there a common thread between what got these young men there, or was it just a fluke? No, I, I, it's not a fluke. Absolutely, I think it's uh, almost always a a. They came from an environment that allowed them to become who they are. I mean, no one is who they are just because of their own talents, their own DNA. I mean, there, there's no nobody gets anywhere in life without a whole lot of people helping them, or nurturing them, or growing them, or developing them in some fashion to get there. So. Uh, Oftentimes, the common factor is, is their parents. Mm, they had parents mm-hmm. that that uh, pushed them to greatness, that, that had a culture in their house that helped them learn how to work and, and held them accountable so they had good grades. And, you know, you're talking about a young man that's got uh, – that's strong academically and athletically. That's hard to find. Yeah. And then you throw in some sort of character uh, where you want a certain level of, of high character. Well, that's a really impressive young man. So that doesn't happen on its own. That's a product of, of their household. So – most of our kids either had a family or a one parent, at least, that was really pushing them to be a, a man of their word and a hard worker and uh, a, a strong citizen. So I think that's for sure what what stands out to me. You know, it's interesting. We experience this as parents because both of our sons graduated high school together. Now they're playing college football together. Uh, and I noticed through the tailgating aspect of college football that uh, I can't believe the number of, of Linfield athletes that have a nuclear family with parents both married for years, decades together. I was really impressed with that. And then our boys, my, I've, I've raised three sons, and the difference between my youngest son and my oldest and middle overall was that the culture of the parents was much higher level, a nuclear family, uh, parents that really got it for the most part. Uh, what do you think about that? Is that do you think that's part of their success? Absolutely. I, I uh, how can it not be? I mean, <clears throat> having a only one parents, you know, you're fifty percent down. So yeah, um, you're only going to be fifty percent as good as you could have been with with two parents, or it's probably even less. Quite frankly, I'll bet you the sum of two parents is greater than you know each of them individually. So absolutely. Um, Except for Christmas presents. <laughs> I'm yeah. from divorce, too, so you know what I'm talking you. about. I got you. You got eight, eight Christmases, you know. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so you said an environment to become who they are. And so you're speaking way beyond parents. You're saying parents. What's the role of friendships uh, 
huge in, in these huge. kids becoming young men that absolutely are better. The, the young men that they run with uh, their peer groups i mean we can like i said i'm a, I'm a sports psychologist we can talk about this all we want but uh no question the the peer group they run with the the church they're from the the team that they're in the, the high school program has a lot to do with it of course and so um their value system is what we're talking about and your value system is typically shaped by the environment you're immersed in so um, all, all that plays a, a giant role so nature or nurture nurture yeah, yeah. nurture uh, i think you know Tabula rosa, I, I really believe in it, but I do believe there's pre-wiring. I mean, I believe it's a Absolutely. little of both. I think you have a genetic predisposition, and then the environment that you are immersed in is going to bring that about, maybe accelerate it or slow it down, but um, it, it's definitely both. You can't have one without the other. Yeah, Proverbs 20, 22, 8, I think. Raise up a, ch- your ch- a child in the way that he shall go, and in and then he will not depart from it, something like that. Right. But the real translation in the Hebrew is raise up a child according to their bent, and when they're older, they will not depart from it. Mm. Now, you and I have talked about this. Our kids are way different from each other. I mean, your son, Colton, is way different from Wyatt. Yeah. My son, Colton, is way different from James. So, so, so we have these children that we are entrusted to that are so different. We We just can't implement our strategy within the same way right absolutely how does a parent identify because but the end goal is the same the end goal is the same right we have the same end goal but our kids are so different how does a parent call that audible when raising children (laughs) well because there are guys listening that are younger than us i hear you i I certainly do not have all the answers (laughs) no none of us do but uh (laughs) i'm laughing at that but um you know, I, I think you have to. You, you want to have some standards that are the same, but you you have to teach treat your kids differently. You have to. You know, what what works for one's not going to work with the other, and and you got to reach them where they are, and you can't expect them to be you. They're not. They're not even close to you typically. They're, I mean, yes, more than than some stranger, but um, you got to reach kids where they are and and find ways to uh, to talk to them that they can understand. I, I love that, Joe. I wrote down, reach them where they are, which you said, and then I thought about my own life, and I said, not where you were. Yeah. I think sometimes we place, we we take our losses from the past and say, my kid will never lose again the way I lost. We And we put some kind of participation trophy in their life. We bulldoze over the obstacles for them. Or we had this great life, and we want our kids to for me, it was kind of like my kids will never. I had this inherent thing in my brain that was sick and wrong, saying, "You're never going to be as good as me," because of the competition, because of other stuff in the past. But that's wrong as well. We should, I guess, our goal is, and you said this also earlier in the podcast: how do they become who they are, hoping that they'll end up? We'll put them on our shoulders, but we don't want them to be like us. We want them to be like them. How do, how do you as a coach navigate around that for young men? Because uh, playing college football, a linebacker is way different mentality than a fullback because I played both. An offensive lineman is way different than a defensive lineman. In fact, Jim Massey played in the NFL for four years. He said it was really interesting. When you walk into a, line, into a locker room, all the, offensive line, all the offensive guys were very orderly. They dressed orderly. And the defensive guys were a bunch of barbarians. They were dirty. They were sloppy. <laughs> their hair is unkempt. And there's a whole different mentality there. You know, how, how, based on all these different factors, how, how do you as a coach, you, you said this earlier, help them become who they are, help them to find meaning. How do you use that football 
process and position to help these young men move into the best version of themselves? Is Do you use a strategy there as a coach? Well, as a coach, I think you have to develop a culture that, that values all roles. And oh. and every role is valuable. And, and we talk about that all the time. There is no role on this team that's more valuable than another. And that doesn't matter if you're the starting quarterback or if you are the fifth string uh, holder, you know, not that we have a fifth string holder, but, or if you're the manager, you know, every role is critical. Mm. And, and this team, for it to succeed, all the roles have to be doing their absolute best in the role that they're in. They don't have to be happy with the role they're in. They should be yearning to improve that role, but they need to do their best for the team's sake. And, and so part of that is, is getting guys to, to value and, and validate other people's roles on the team. And, and that might be their preparational style. We've got guys before a game, uh, you know, headbutting each other, slapping each other, punching each other, uh, putting their head through a locker if, if I would let them. So now you're talking about the defensive guys. Exactly, 100%. <laughs> and you've got, you've got the receivers and the quarterbacks over here laughing, playing cards, if, if they could. Yeah. You know, just a whole different style <laughs> of, of, of uh, getting, getting, you know, prepped to the right level of, of you know, arousal or, or intensity. And, yeah. and you can't play the same way. So the, the game itself is played differently. Some guys play in a, a crazy, uh, passionate, uh, fiery, angry way. Others are very cool, calm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think kids are the same way. You, you can't treat them all the same. You know, they just aren't, even in, within your, your household. Oh, you're, that's so good, man. I mean, I just got back with an elk hunt with my son, James. And, and honestly, for him, I, at one point we were on the plane flight or the car ride over, and my 24-year-old son put his head on my shoulders. He, he could he really the elk killing is great for him he just wants to be close to dad as close to dad as possible 24 where darby is like i just want to go kill something and he will stay as far away from dad as he can you know but they're just so different so um that is so good so okay so okay i got a question for you all right you were a cornerback yep. back in the day i yep. in my book uh the field guide which i know that you had a copy copy yep. one of the original you had the green one Oh man, we we changed a lot of that book. Oh, we have you? But I have an entry in there said Jesus would have been a blank, and I put a football position in that journal. I think that Jesus, if he were playing football, which he would have been, because he wasn't some six foot two, blonde haired, blue eyed guy that weighed one hundred thirty five pounds and just held children all day and carried sheep. I think he was a construction guy, five seven, five eight, dark skin, tough. So I think now now let's pretend that Jesus don't let's not put a size on Jesus. Gotcha. What position would Jesus play on a football team? <laughs> this in is any position he wanted. Okay, well, what do you think? Do you, do you th- based on what we know about him in Scripture, where would he have played? Quarterback. Not, yeah, not, not, not he definitely wouldn't play soccer. No, because oh, that's heck the, that's no. the sports Come my on. kids played. That's, that's a, what my kids played before they went into sports. <laughs> I mean, it's a, sport? it's a wonderful preparational sport. You it's know? like the particip- That's where they got it their is. participation trophies. So, 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 um, <laughs> more people that we offended. Dale's like, I got to edit that out. So, what position do you think, based on the nature and character of Jesus, that he would have played? Well, I, I honestly would think he would have played left tackle, or he would have played quarterback. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually my entry said fullback because that's what I played in college, and I've got a sore neck to this day because when I played football, I was a blocking back. I, I carried the ball 12 times as a starting fullback in four years. We called ourselves full blocks, sacrificial. And I thought, well, maybe he would have been a lineman, yeah. which is even more sacrificial. Yeah. So, I, Or the quarterback is a good one too because you, we need leaders. We need guys to, to lead. 
Yeah. Uh, it's just it's just interesting to play around with that. So hey, we're out of time. So uh, man, I I just appreciate Joe. I've I've hit this microphone like twenty times today. So I I did it again. I'm done. With I'm you. sorry. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, Joe, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I know you're busy in the middle of a recruiting season, and uh, man, thanks a lot. I really appreciate this. I think this is awesome. It's just to have that sports perspective on life and on manhood, and we just need more guys like you, Joe, raising up these young men. And so I'm really blessed and thankful that you are uh, raising up my youngest son, Colton. So thanks for coming on the show, well, thank man. Thank you. So, hey, guys, you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Helping us transform the lives of men and those they love is as easy as one, two, and three. Listen to the podcast. Number two, share it with your friends. And number three, write a positive review. Give us your input about all topics you'd like to hear about or guys you'd like us to hear you'd like to hear from. Guys, we want to help you become the best version of you. So if you have any questions or comments, you can leave them through our Great Hunt for God app. It is free. Or you can go on to the Men in the Arena closed Facebook page. We want to have 30,000 men on that by 2020. And the discussions on that form are unbelievable. So go on there and uh, uh, ask to join that. And if unless you're a female, I will in, include you on in our podcast, in our uh, closed group. So thanks again, guys, for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast. Guys, until next time, get in the arena, get dirty, grind it out. And most of all, be be a man. This is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Has your man card been challenged today? If you hunger to be the best version of you, then join thousands of men from around the world on our closed Facebook forum called The Men in the Arena. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. Also, make sure you ask about our newest equipping opportunity called the Man Card Weekend with the men in the arena. Let us inspire the men of your organization to become the best version of themselves today. And don't forget to purchase a copy of our popular field guide, A Bathroom Book for Men. Jim wrote this book for men who don't read books. It's a daily study of manly words explained with great stories. You will find enough entries to read one a day for an entire year. That's right, 365 daily readings on what a man is and does. Get your own copy at mancardpodcast.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, join our army and become the best version of you. Get in the arena. Let the world feel the full weight of who you are. Grind it out. Be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.